When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello everyone and welcome back to the first episode of the Roker Report podcast 2019-20 season. Last week was meant to be the inaugural episode of this season, but uh, in our brilliance we did not sound check properly and so the episode could not be aired because the sound was fairly poor. And I'll tell you what else was fairly poor, Sunderland's performance against Oxford yesterday. The lads drew 1-1 with the Yellows in a game Many expected us to comfortably dominate, but alas, that was not the case. Before we get into that, I will just introduce you people at home to my friends here in the studio. I call them friends. I doubt they'd call me that much. I'm extremely irritating. Let's go to Josh. First of all, on my right, how are you, Josh? I'm good, Alex. How are you? I'm, I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I'm not bad. I'm okay, you know, <laughs> given recent events. As good as you can be. No, I'm not as good as I could be, no. Paddy, how are you, Paddy? I'm good, Alex. Good stuff. Bad, yeah. yeah, good stuff, good stuff. That's uh, very positive. I'm, I'm sure that reflects how you're feeling inside as well, yeah, that phrase. Absolutely. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> and I'm also joined by Craig. How are you, Craig? I'd say we're friends. If that's any consolation, nobody else has mentioned it so oh, thanks, far. Craig. Thanks, Craig. Let's get off for yeah. a good start yeah. because we're going to go know, through yesterday's mm-hmm. performance. But yeah, I'm okay. Slightly yeah. underwhelmed by the football yesterday, but we'll touch on that. Well, that's okay. You know, Craig, you always were my favourite, to be fair. like I'm just going to put that out there. But we, we need uh, solidarity in these dark times when our football club is grinding out one-all draws at home to Oxford United. So, let's talk about the game itself before we have the three-word review. Sunderland drew 1-1 with Oxford United in their first game of the season. A fairly cagey first half was sadly punctuated by a defensive error from Conor McLaughlin, which allowed Oxford's Forsu, I believe he's called, to race through one goal as John McLaughlin sort of sells himself early and the Yellows frontman puts away the first goal for 1-0. There will be no more reply in the first half, but in the second, Lyndon Gooch was brought down in the box with only two minutes on the clock, and that earned his side a penalty, which he subsequently took and converted, bringing the scoreline to Jack Ross's favourite 1-1. And naturally, because we got 1-1, we wouldn't see any more goals. The rest of the game was a pretty frustrating affair. Oxford, aside from their one goal that they scored through a defensive mistake, seldom threatened substantially, and Sunderland, while dictating most of the play and putting many attacks together, couldn't find the final ball in what was a very frustrating set of attacking movements. Really quite annoying, but of course we'll get to all of that in good time. So let's just whip round our three-word review. You all know how this works. We ask the good people of Twitter to give us their match summary in three words. Let's see what we've got. Jake Hanna says, we'll be fine. 
Phil says, please sell Flanagan. Macamino says, Grig offers nout. John Ridley says, constant dissatisfying performance. Chris Cam says, collective buyer's remorse. John Ollier says, big crowd, bottled. Jeff Turner says, pie's still nice. Chris Cam again says, please gamble responsibly. <laughs> Connor will never leave us. Justice for Connor. <laughs> Justice for- Connor is not in the studio, but he's in my heart and he'll never leave. <laughs> Michael Bowers says, same old cack. Liam Kennedy says, sack Jack Ross. We have Ben Lowry, who says, hopeless at crossing. Liam says, bring back Kino. Michael Forster says, I'm from Wall's End. And we have Mick Stacey saying, so am I. Chris FSTP says, one, one draw. Jeffrey Potts says, not good enough. Phil Smith says, so predictably predictable. And someone called Smooge with about 10 O's. I think that's going to make me like a smooge, but you know, we'll play on. He says, feeling very deflated. Dave B says, first game, relax. Max UK says, 99 points left. And Ryan Palliser says, deja vu. So, yeah, I think I've spoken enough now. We all have a pretty good indication and grasp of how the fans feel about yesterday's game and I'm sure many of those sentiments are reflected here in this room so we're going to start with you Josh what did you make of yesterday's game uh same old same old in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. dominating possession making no real clear-cut chances very predictable going forward it's it's just it's very obvious that it's just just out wide we have Mm -hmm. nothing in the middle and that's very easy to defend against when our two strikers are under six foot and they've got a defender who's like 6'3", I think Dickie is, who I was really impressed with. So in that sense, we were really predictable. You know, we look terrified at the back still. We, you know, we're still going ahead with trying to play it out from the back. Just doesn't work. And that's why they scored their goal, essentially. Um, I haven't seen the penalty back, but I don't think it was a penalty from where I was sitting. So in a sense, I think we were lucky to even score. <laughs> I mean, you look at the Charlton game, we didn't score um, and I think if it wasn't for that lucky penalty we wouldn't have scored again and going back to pre-season we didn't score in three games so that's a massive concern as well mm-hmm. So do you think I mean I know a lot of people sort of discredit pre-season games as nothing more than a warm-up or a, a chance to sort of um, blood a new system on new players mm-hmm. but would you say that therefore the pre-season games in which we um, had three in a row without scoring are significant? I think they are now I think when you look at um when you look at how we played and you look at, you know, did we really open Oxford up? No. Um, I think you have to take that into account in the mm-hmm. pre-season form, especially the last couple of games where you kind of get into the, the business end of pre-season and we're still not really looking like we're opening teams up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think and that didn't change in the Oxford game. I think that's absolutely a fair point. We'll go to you, Paddy, now. So what we've spoken about there, obviously, it's the most sort of fundamental flaw in the team was our inability to break Oxford down. And I would agree with Josh. You know, um, aside from that penalty, we didn't really look like scoring at all. And if it wasn't for that penalty, I doubt we would have scored. What is the issue with going forward? Why, why can't we do it? Why can't we just score a goal from open play? Or why couldn't we? I mean, my thoughts from yesterday was basically we're going forward we get the ball in midfield and it just looks like we don't know what to do with it. You look at the team sheet and you think, oh, well, we've got two strikers on the pitch. You know, we've got, um, maybe we can see like a return to, the, like, to Gucci's form, what he showed at the start of last season and, you know, the way he just like get at full backs and, you know, get in behind and get the ball in and everything. So you've got to think like, 
the way we set up, we should have been basically throwing ourselves into it more than what we did. We're going forward and it's almost like I'm expecting every move to break down. You think like, all right, we're playing out from the back and then, you know, our full-backs are moving it forward and it's getting into the wingers and now they're bringing it back inside. But then it's like, where's the movement after that? There's not like the fluidity there, what we've seen from, for example, some of the teams who went up last season, you know, the likes of the Barnsleys and the Lutons where they'd be going forward and the opposition defence were backpedalling every time. You know, they were not making defences look panicked. And I think that's, um, it's something which really have to change. And I did think that maybe the start of this season, things might have changed. But I think what we've seen before about the lack of goals and attacking threat in pre-season, it is starting to sort of show itself mm-hmm. more and more. And I think with it showing itself in the first league game, you know, against, let's be honest, a team who we should be beating if we want to get out of this division, um, I think it is quite concerning. Yeah, so would you say that the main issue there, I mean, as you say, I think you're totally right that we don't, we didn't make the Oxford defence look look harried or, you know, even I think at time, even remotely sort of moved at all with what we were doing. So would you say that perhaps we're just a bit too cagey that maybe, it's a phrase I heard last season and I think it rings true at yesterday's game that we we show Oxford too much respect. Definitely, I mean, like we just, whenever they're coming forward, it's just like, you know, even like our fullbacks and sometimes even our centre mids were just, there wasn't the first thought of, like before this guy gets a run on me, why don't I put the first challenge in or close him down? Because by the time our players are thinking of making a challenge, the ball's across the side of the pitch or an attack's sort of, it's begun and, you know, it's it's miles away from where that bit of play was. We're just a couple of yards just off the pace. I mean, I just think going into sort of the, the games we have later this month against, you know, your Portsmouths and Ipswich and Peterborough, I think it's got to be out of our system basically sooner rather than later, I think. Absolutely. I think a big problem that we haven't learned from last season is we need to be a bit nastier in games. Well, well that's it. That's 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 because, showing Oxford too much respect, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because Oxford came to break the play up. You know, they were kicking the ball away when we got free kicks, all that kind of stuff. And the fans, oh, it riled them up massive. It worked. And we didn't know how to react with that. And, and we just didn't deal with it whatsoever. They were, they were just using, like, Jamie Mackey made those three centre-halves look average just with how he was kind of just being a bit of a dick and <laughs> it was working. And he was just kind of, you know, giving them a sly elbow here and there, just gamesmanship, which at this level you get away with because the referees aren't the best, which we know about again from last season. And we just don't know how to deal with it. No, no, I think that's, yeah, Jimmy Mackey in particular, he was, he was a real nuisance. Absolutely. And, and in, in the in the technical land, I think in the sort of like physical, verbal sense, he was really just sort of... Um, giving it big for large portions of that game and Woodburn who only joined Oxford days ago and yet he's come in and he's looked like he's been there a year yeah, he's quite a promising prospect Woodburn there's a lot of I think raw ability there do you know what I mean and it's like obviously Carl Robinson's been very clear with Woodburn just be a nuisance just get at them and annoy them and it works and I, and I don't know why we don't do that well I think, again, that comes back to what we're saying, though, isn't it? Doesn't it really? But, yeah, I think what I want to do there is focus on what you just said there before, Paddy, about players looking a bit like maybe they're not quite on it as much as they should be with regards to the other team getting the ball and we're closing them down and we're harrying them and and we're, and we're as you said even further before, that we're not really putting them under the pressure we need to, that perhaps maybe the pressing isn't there. 
when you see a, a fault in the team and you say, oh, we're not doing this, that normally comes from individuals who aren't doing something. So I thought that went to you, Craig. We've not heard from you yet. Were there any players in the team yesterday that you think just didn't look like they were good enough for uh, Jack Ross's fabled 100-point season team? I hate singling anybody out, mm. especially after an opening day, because I think we could start something very, very uh, kind of negative and just allow it to spiral. I think there was some glaring issues yesterday. I think in terms of this way that we're, we're going to be setting up to play, we're going to anticipate some teething issues. One of the biggest things I noticed yesterday was if Gooch went forward, he would always say have McLaughlin, you know, kind of to cover his position. What I noticed yesterday was when Hume was going forward, Flanagan didn't really fill that void. And I think there was a massive lack of communication between them. Um, and again, obviously a lot of criticism came from the stands. And I think as the game grew on, and a lot of passes were going astray from, say, Denver Hume. You know, he kind of went into his shell a little bit. And I think the fragility did set in then. And the longer the game went on, he, to be honest, it, it was grown nasty. I think certainly in the area where I sit in the ground. Um, but again, I can understand the frustrations from people because, you know, we've mentioned this 100-point mark. And yesterday, we really did need to get off to a good start, set the statement really for for what we're going to do for the rest of the season. But I think our weak spots really was from Flanagan. And again, like I said, Hume, he wasn't great, but I'm anticipating a lot, lot more from him this season. But but Flanagan, we've seen it for quite a while now. I think he is one of the weak links. And I think he can find himself fairly lucky to be involved, especially when over the course of the final stages of last season, I mean, Ozturk didn't really do too much wrong. Appreciate he got sent off against Portsmouth, but I would have expected him to fill that role yesterday. Yeah. I think so, definitely. I think what you say there about, obviously, Hume and Flanagan playing on that wing, as Hume's playing as your left wing back, he's, he's required to fill the role of both a fullback and a winger. But that means, of course, that he can't be in two places simultaneously. Should he be playing on the wing, then you expect Flanagan, who's the left-sided centre-back, to fill in for him. That was what I presumed was the whole point of having three at the back. So... When I see the criticism that I'm saying that oh Hume's got forward there but he's not tracked back, well if he's up if he's you know he can't be in two places at once. There are there's not a single player on earth who can be an out and out fullback and an out and out winger at the same time. So if, if Hume's going forward, then I personally would expect Flanagan to be to be covering his back basically. And obviously if if we're if they're on the attack and we're defending, then of course I expect Hume to defend. But should one of his attacks break down, then I expect Flanagan to be filling in more so while Hume's getting back to, to help cover. But I think they both looked uncomfortable yeah. in possession. It was it was definitely a difficult afternoon for them. One of the arguments, again, that came came out yesterday was, look, we've, we've had pre-season and we should have really addressed this formation now. Mm-hmm. We, we should you know, be ready to, to kind of kick on it and, and play this. But I think if Jack Ross is you know going to stick with this, people m- might have to appreciate for a few games at least, it is going to take a little while for everything to adjust. Um, but I mean, credit to Oxford and fairness, they they did expose us an mm-hmm. awful lot, and that that over the course of the game did cause an awful lot of more issues. And we should have addressed that. Maybe we should have, you know, had that conversation at halftime just to basically say let's tighten things up there. But maybe that's just again, we can maybe blame Jack Ross. We can we can blame anybody really on the pitch for not addressing that. But you know, credit to Oxford, like I said, fair for highlighting that because again they. We'll probably go on to it later in the game, but you know, besides our penalty, we we didn't really threaten them. And I think they can feel rightly aggrieved for not coming away with all three points. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. If I was an Oxford fan, I'd maybe thought that we could have we could have snatched all three mm-hmm. there because when they had chances, albeit not as often as we did, they looked like they could have made theirs count. They were putting together some very <laughs> convincing movements when they did get forward. That was helped to an extent by some some bad defensive decisions. I mean, obviously, the goal came from a, a, a poor piece of judgment from Conor McLaughlin. But that was one thing I was quite concerned with, really, is, is the general passing from the defence. Um, we'll, we'll go back to you, Josh. Was that something, is that something that, that you feel will be a concern about the back three that we've got? Should we use this formation in the future? Or Massively. Is, is that perhaps... Is that could that be um, put down to nerves? Well, uh, it's a massive concern. It was it was last season, and I don't necessarily think it's just a, this system. It, it, you know, I think Ross likes to play out from the back because when we were playing a back four, we play out from the back. But unfortunately, we don't have the players that are good enough for it. Willis was brought in to be one of those ball playing defenders. He didn't show that yesterday. We saw some kind of wayward passing from him. I remember a couple of times where he gave it away under no pressure. So it's either you change the style of play <laughs> again so we don't play from the back or we just stick with it and, and hope that for whatever reason they, they get more comfortable on the ball. But, you know, at least Flanagan's had a season of playing out from the back now and he didn't look any more comfortable. I just don't think Flanagan can. And what I'm going to do very quickly is jump into this week's quick question with regard to that. Now, this is something that I'll refer to back at several points during this pod, but basically, as our first quick question segment of this season, I said that yesterday's game was not a good one. There were a lot of things which weren't good. I, I don't know why I said good there twice. I, I could have done better than that. You know? <laughs> Honestly, you know, I, I, if I'd looked at that again, I would have found a different word for the second good, but hey-ho. So basically, in your opinion, who or what was the weakest aspect of Sunderland's game? We'll read out your answers on the day's pod. So a response from RV, who goes by the handle Harvey86, said, trying to play football in a league that doesn't want to with players who can't. Playing out from the back looks good when done well, but when you pass it to your centre-half, who boots it aimlessly, what's the point? And I think that exactly. what he's getting at there is is a very is a, a very crucial point and could perhaps obviously I'm praying it doesn't but this could be a failing of Ross's philosophy in our team which is that we're playing we're playing this sort of this three at the back using wing backs we're having players in quite advanced sort of tactical roles but ultimately we're doing that with a with a league one team and that there are players who I think for the rest of their career may not play a formation or system that's this ambitious ever most going to be used not. to four four twos and four three threes I don't know what do you think Paddy I mean, I think also when it was used during pre-season, I'd sort of like, I think it raised a few eyebrows thinking like, okay, I mean, it looks good, you know, on paper. And if there's a plan behind it and if if, if it's executed well, then it'll be not be dangerous. But it's like what we've been saying. We don't have the players who can do that. Ross must know by now that the defenders we have, you know, albeit just being the uh, first game of the season, that Flanagan... He's not the sort of defender who can play that sort of role. And, you know, I, I do think with, with Willis and McLaughlin, I do think they'll settle down. But I just don't understand why he's persisting with Flanagan if he wants to play this sort of style of play in this league. Because, as obviously people have answered um, on Twitter there, that this league, playing really good football, really attractive football, isn't necessarily what you need. It's something which it's hard to put your finger on, but we don't have it. And everyone's saying, like, you know, we've got a really good squad. And, like, yeah, we do. On paper, it is one of the best squads in the league. But 
if we if we're persistent with playing a formation where isn't getting the best out of those players, then it doesn't matter that we have the best squad in the league because you know it's not going to be our advantage come the end of the season. If we keep on persisting with it and it doesn't work out, and then it becomes more obvious that Ross doesn't have a plan B or doesn't know what to do when things are going wrong on the pitch, then I think it's going to be really concerning. Mm-hmm. How much do you think, Paddy, we could stand to gain from just simplifying things a bit? Do you think that a manager, if it, let, let's say hypothetically Ross isn't the manager in charge and you've got a manager who has the exact same squad, made the exact same signings, but he plays, for example, 4-4-2, formations like those, and he, he plays plays in very sort of traditional roles. So, for example, Denver Hume is a fullback. Tom Flanagan is a central defender. You know, no one's a wing back. You don't have any sort of there aren't any sort of specific tactical roles here. Not to the depth and extremity of what Ross has given so far. Does that team beat Oxford comfortably, or do we have any of the same problems? Again, we're speaking in hypotheticals, but I think. We'd look a lot stronger, I think, if if Hume was there just as like you know your old fashioned left back, then I think he'd look a lot more comfortable on the ball. I think part of the reason he looked fragile was, you know, as we said, he, he made a couple of wayward passes, a couple of you know wrong decisions, and then things get on top of him. And when he's having to look behind and noticing that Flanagan isn't doing the job, which this sort of formation is basically designated to him then it's going to mean that Hume is thinking about not only his role in the team, but then he's worrying that as soon as the ball goes behind him, is Flanagan there to help him out? Mm-hmm. And for somebody of like of his age, of his, you know, he hasn't played a lot of you know professional football, first team football for Sunderland. I think it's that's a worry which he shouldn't need to have. So I definitely think sort of switching back to a more traditional, especially defensively, I'm not too sure about going forward, but I think for me, a more traditional sort of four at the back, even sort of like no-nonsense sort of style of defending, even for just a few games, just to sort of settle everybody's nerves. Mm-hmm. You know, let um, if you are going to persist with Flanagan and say how Flanagan and Willis, um, give them time to sort of have a period together and get settled into just doing what they're meant to do and just be centre-halves and just, you know, be, be dominating and beating attackers to the ball and just keeping things tight. And then in the meantime, having... Our fullbacks just be fullbacks and not have to worry about bombing forward and then tracking back and then getting the criticism from the crowd for not being able to do both. <coughs> Basically, as we said, like they they can't be in two places at once and they shouldn't be getting stick for that. So mm-hmm. I think yeah, I think probably things need to change. Yeah, I think what we either want is players like Hume to be getting forward, swinging crosses in, taking on his man, cutting inside, or we want him doing the more sort of fundamental defensive duties as a fullback. I think. You know, we should be under no illusions that we're a League One team. And as a League One team, we should be having players who are in League One and doing, you know, the more basic things. I mean, I've referred to it several times, but when we had Danny Collins on the podcast, we spoke to him to try and get a first-person perspective on being a football league defender. And and he made no mention when we asked him what makes a good centre-back for, say, League One, League Two, possibly Championship. He said, well, it's it wasn't playing from the back. It was It was having positional awareness, it was taking the ball down, it was getting rid. It was no nonsense. It was it was just positional awareness coupled with the very sort of direct get rid of the ball mentality. And I think if you have that from players like Alan Ozturk and, and you know someone else alongside him doing a similar thing, 
I think we'd have a lot less concerns. But obviously, what you saw yesterday were a lot of lot of mistakes in the passing. I mean, I don't know. What did you think, Craig? Do you think that perhaps we should benefit from, or that we would benefit from, just again toning things down at the back there? I think the main difficulty for me yesterday came from conceding the early goal, um, because we looked fairly bright and lively going forward prior to that. Um, or one real kind of effort on goal, if you like. But as we were going forward, uh, Forsu, I mean, he really should have scored pretty much straight away, dragging a shot wide. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. The, the wing-back roles for this formation is absolutely crucial. And because it was, it was you could tell, it was a brand new system. They looked like some of them had never played uh, together at all before. But Oxford came, scored, and they had something to protect. And I felt from there... There was a few times I thought that we were just going to kind of lose shape, maybe revert back to type, um, and we didn't. So I think that's Ross's idea to say, look, we are going to continue with this formation. But it's something that I think we should have really tried to address maybe at the start of the summer to say, look, we are going to persist with this and go out and sign players exclusively for said positions because I don't think Denver Hume is suited for this. I thought as the game grew on yesterday, Lyndon Gucci, was, it was okay. It was nothing spectacular as he was say, at the start of last season. But I don't think we have the, the right players for this particular system at present. I know we've still got time to address that, mm. whether we can bring any more in. Um, but again, in terms of the, the defenders we've got, we, we mentioned Ozturk. I think everybody's just forgot about Baldwin. Granted, I'm not his biggest fan, but what's happening with him? It, it, he's not involved in the matchday squads. He's barely been involved in pre-season. Leuven's, <coughs> Leuven's we can write off. We know he's he's not going to be involved at all. But if Baldwin's not involved, should we not try and get rid of him and maybe bring in a replacement for him? It, it's it's quite a concern that Flanagan is still number one on the team sheet. But again, we could do this uh, to death, really. I think until oh, we blew in the face this evening. But... Yeah, it's quite a concern because I think in terms of yesterday, there really there was no overwhelming expectation for us to, to basically come out and absolutely rattle <coughs> Oxford from the offset. It hasn't happened. We've now got two very difficult games coming up. And again, the pressure's on straight away. You've got people calling for Jack Ross already. So this is it's a test of character for everybody involved. Are they going to continue with the system? Are we going to allow you know any teething issues? Or are we just going to change it just for changing its sake and just say, look, Let's play some less than spectacular football. We'll go out and we'll basically try and shithouse a team like teams have done at us and just try and get three points. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If it works, well, I'm all right with that. I'm fine with that. I think I've I've had enough of this um, trying to play nice football. And, and it's hard because obviously you see Luton win the league in the manner that they did, but but they had Premier League fullbacks. Like both of them got moves to Leicester and Bournemouth respectively. So we're playing with wing-backs and we're not playing wing-backs in those positions. No, like, no, Gucci obviously isn't a wing-back. Hume <clears throat> is clearly just a full-back, um, which is completely different. So, uh, to me, what I, my concern with Ross is there seems to be a stubbornness. It's it's like, we're, we're going to play this way and this way alone. And I think to be a manager, especially at this level, you have to um, kind of adapt to certainly the team you have and the league you're in. And playing, well, to be fair, we're not even playing nice football. We're trying to, but we're not really. Mm-hmm. What what we're playing would be <coughs> nice football if the players we had were better. Like if we had, yeah. say, yeah. if we if had, only a, we were Man City. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you could always say that, couldn't you? You know, I mean, you, you, you could make. I mean, 
I mean, obviously Pep Guardiola could go into like um, uh, you know a, a a bottom division under nines Russell Foster youth <laughs> team and go right. We're playing ticket tacker. We're doing this. We're doing that. But obviously, you know, you're not going to have the resources at your disposal to to put together what you want. And I think you know, in a in a less extreme case, Ross is Ross is having the same predicament here. I think what he's got is a very is a very sort of well thought out, very well calculated idea, but. He wants to play out from the back with defenders like Tom Flanagan, and and Tom Flanagan can't pass water. You know, he, he's he's he can't. He's I, I really just don't rate him at all. And I, I know, I mean, as as Craig says, I don't want to single out players, but for me, it's very it's very concerning that that we, we've heard talk from from Donald about a hundred point season, mm-hmm. and we're starting Tom Flanagan. Tom Flanagan doesn't get isn't isn't a member of a hundred point team in this league. I'm sorry. Do we, not. Think, do we think we've set the bar too high already in terms of getting 100 points? Well, that's that's the thing. Now, we heard the 100-point talk from Donald, didn't we? Yeah, that's, what, that's what we heard. That wasn't Jack Ross. No, that, no, exactly. it, it yeah, wasn't yeah, Jack it Ross. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. Charlie Methvin and Stuart exactly. Donald sat in these chairs and they were <coughs> clear to say that this season is, we were going to smash this league. Is that not league. a bit ridiculous to sort of instantly put that kind of pressure on... It's enormous. Yeah, on like Ross and the management yeah. team and the squad yeah. like, with, you know, doing it on like... Obviously, you know, on a podcast, and you you know, you want to be enthusiastic, you want to be optimistic about the upcoming season. But after the way last season ended, I mean, you got to think it's it's a bit, you know, it, it's too far the leap, mm-hmm. surely. Yeah, it, it's it's huge. You're not you're not you're not just <laughs> saying uh, we you know we expect to win the league next season. You're saying that we expect to dominate the league next season, and those are two entirely different things. Now, Luton won the league last season. But they were they were taken all the way by Barnsley, us and Portsmouth and Charlton. Well, m- more so Barnsley and, and Charlton towards the end of it. Us, us and Portsmouth fell away. But you know, it's it, I, for me, it, it's a it's an enormous expectation. I think it's very important to clear up the misconception that Jack Ross wants in a hundred point season. I mean, I'm sure he does, but I think he'll be under no illusions that that is a massive ask. He has to get everything you know completely right from the get go for that to even transpire and. You know, f- forgive me for being a pessimist, but I can't see 100 points this season. But I couldn't see 100 points most seasons, really. But I think it put a marker on his head straight away, didn't it? Yeah. And Jack it, Ross It's a comment, target on his back. Yeah, yeah. Jack Ross's comments yesterday straight away is, we can't afford to be satisfied with a point at home. We have to look to win every game, of course, which you'd expect anyway. But there was instances last season where there was an odd, you know, kind of couple of home games where we came from behind with Drew. And we came out the stadium and went, Right, okay, it wasn't great, but nonetheless, you know, we've we've done okay to, to steal something out of this. We've preserved an unbeaten record for a while, but this season, I don't think, you know, anybody is going to come away satisfied with with a result like yesterday. Especially again, no disrespect to Oxford, but that's a team who the expectancy for them this season is survival, and realistically speaking, you know, with the team that we've got, with the bench that we had yesterday as well, you know, we we should have blown them away. And it, it's just, I can't see that happening in any games coming forward, especially with the run-up that we've got now. Ipswich, we've got Peterborough at the end of the month. Portsmouth, we know, are absolutely notorious for coming here and giving us a tough time. So I, I think the the longer, you know, these kind of performances go on, I, I think I think Jack Ross is under an enormous amount of pressure. Oh, definitely. And I think when a fan base, I, I'm not necessarily going to say anybody's turned against him. That's... I, you, you see a lot of things online people saying we need to get rid of him this that and the other that's fine everybody's entitled to an opinion but nothing's changed in the ground as of yet there's been no kind of um, you know audible sections of people saying get rid of him or anything like that but you know that that could come if we don't get through this month with 
I don't know, a position within the top two and, and, and say at least have, have kind of put some away comfortably, then it, it's going to be difficult. His days will be mm-hmm. numbered. Yeah, let's say, for example, that you go to Ipswich and you, uh, I don't know, you let's, let's say you, you lose. Let's say you play Portsmouth at home and get a 1-1. How precarious does Ross's position then look, Paddy? Like, how quickly will this sort of unrest deteriorate into sort of full-scale, we want him out, we want a sacking, we want the board to get rid and get us that 100-point manager you've you've spoken about on 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 the airwaves? I think um, it will be pretty concerning because I think the fans won't expect us to wipe the floor with the Ipswiches and Portsmouths, but I think... To say if we get one point in them two games, I think it would highlight that we can't really compete with them. Because I think one point from them two games really doesn't it doesn't give out a good sort of any sort of good vibes for the season going forward. Because if you think that in the first month we've arguably got the three teams who are going to be up there you now come towards the end of the season, and you've got to think that if if we're struggling against them. And we just haven't really made an impact against the teams who we should, you know, will be giving us the sort of best, the most challenging games this season. Then I just think it's going to be underwhelming going forward into the season. And I think it's, it will be concerning. Like, for example, if we do lose to Ipswich and then say if we draw against Portsmouth, we don't play very well or we get turned over. Um, I'm not looking forward to the atmosphere at full time against Portsmouth because I just think if we've had two performances where like, like against Oxford where we just haven't really turned up and we've let the opposition boss us then the this 100 point claim just becomes a joke and it's just going to continue to turn the fans mm-hmm. against the team and well, that's just not, it's not what we need Well that's it I mean I just think when you when you, when you analyse a comment like that in light of everything there's I think it's just it. it's a very it, it's a big Think the place on Ross's shoulders, and it, it it could very well become the albatross around the neck. It's a, it's a it's a dangerous thing to to claim the manager is going to get you when, when in, I mean obviously again it's the first game and and there are teething there are going to be teething problems in a fundamentally new formation with new players who many of which haven't played with each other before you know much less in such a new system, but it's just there's a, there's a lot to expect and uh, we'll get that we'll get. Well, I'll get more into that in a bit, but what I want to do now is draw our attention back to the quick question because we have two responses that I find very relevant to where this discussion is going. So one of them comes from Mac and Matty, who says, Hume was our weakest player. Far too many far too many times he was out of position, which gave them too many goal-scoring opportunities. His crosses were appalling too. Our weakest aspect is what we do in the final third. We always get the ball there, but the waste the chances we create. And the other one, on a similar note, comes from Mobile Mackham, who has two separate points. He says, one, our primary method of attack seems to be through the wing-backs, neither of whom are good enough to carry that weight. And secondly, the ball is almost always either the wrong... Sorry, the final ball is almost always either the wrong choice or poorly executed. So we've spoke about, obviously, Denver Hume and how, you know, there what we have is, is we have him being accused of of doing two separate things wrong on on the one hand obviously is you know he's out of position when he's um, uh, defending and giving them goal scoring opportunities but then on the flip side his crosses are also poor 
and you have to possibly think that if he's meant to do two different positions and he's he's that stretched, then he's probably going to get them both wrong because he's far too harried. But we've been over that, obviously. What's mainly what I want to focus on here is the final third. Now, we haven't spoke about this in too much detail. We have a third response as well from Tim, who says that the main problems were Fanick and Hume and massively Grig. So let's talk about those two different features of our game there, Will Grigg and the final third. So let's start with the balls in the build-up to what could be goal-scoring opportunities. Why were they so bad, Josh? Because let's be under no illusions, the final ball was shocking. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they don't really have anyone to aim at. I said on the podcast that we tried to record last week. Um, that, <laughs> but, but failed. Yeah, but failed. That in pre-season, I noticed Grigg has a... He just will not run to the near post. And I noticed it again yesterday. Um, I remember in the second half when McNulty kind of went free on the left um, and he crossed it in and Grigg just did not break a neck to get in there. Like He should have been there. It was a good cross for McNulty. But Grigg just... Uh, and I know, you know, we've talked about not singling people out, but I'm really losing patience. Um, and and I know there's been talk of like this system, we're not playing at Grigg's strengths. And to a point, I, I kind of sympathise, I do. But there's no excuse um, for not putting in the effort because we're not, this system isn't playing to Gucci's strengths. He's not a wing-back. Um, or nine, weren't, like last season, we weren't playing to his strengths. But they, they're putting in the effort, they're putting in the work. Whereas I look at Grigg and he's closing down his half-arsed. You know, he doesn't win anything in the air because, again, that's half-arsed. McNulty showed me a lot more than Greg has for the time he's mm-hmm. been here and McNulty played for what 75 minutes um, so I'm just really struggling to blame anyone other than Greg mm-hmm. if I'm totally honest I think we look very uh, dull at the point mm-hmm. yeah yeah well what I want to do is come back to what Mobile Mackham says because I'm going to play devil's advocate there and I'm actually going to defend Greg if only for this brief conversation in one context because overall I feel like he's leaving a lot to be desired with how he's done so far. But anyway, so what Mobile Mackham said in his first point was that his prim- our primary method of attack seems to be through the wing-backs, and that, I thought, was definitely the case. Mm. Ro- Ross uh, is clearly a big fan of playing from the wings. We tried a lot of um, cutting inside, a lot of overlap last season, and it looks like we're going that way again. In the first half, almost all the attacks came through Denver Hume, bless him. And obviously, you're putting a lot of pressure there on the shoulders of a young lad. I mean, ultimately, yeah, all our attacks were sent through him, and I think Ross likes to send attacks through the channels. But the issue there is that if, say, you've got someone like Hume who's crossing as quite poor or is perhaps making the wrong decisions, then what you have is is that you have your lads in the middle like Greg and McNulty, both of whom, as we've said, are under six foot. Mm-hmm. They're going to struggle to latch on to any headers if we're swinging the ball in. Now, Lyndon Gooch is a good crosser of the ball, in my opinion, or at least compared to Hume, is a good crosser of the ball from what we've seen anyway. But I think that's your issue is that they, they, had, a, they had a big defender, I think you said earlier, Josh, who mm-hmm. was just, you know, just knocking <clears> them away. What we don't do is play through the middle. Mm-hmm. And what we seldom do, sorry, is play through the middle. And that is where... Griggs looked the best so I'm going to ask you this one Paddy on your opinion I don't know whether you want to go with me or against me here but if we played through the middle could we see a lot more from Grigg I think we would yeah because I know a lot of people have said that to get the best out of Grigg he has to have the ball to his feet and that is frustrating you know because 
as we've said, you no, know, with them not running to the um, to the near post and everything, that is frustrating when you're in the stands and you're seeing a ball come in, and you're not seeing your centre forward like you know break a neck to get in there. Um, you no, know, like we said earlier, like really sort of look like he wants to get on the end of it and you know find the back of the net. If we just like if we just ran at defenders and just got just looked a bit more, just I don't know, just to like just to take a risk, you know, just to like yesterday. We're picking the ball outside the box, and it's like you know. I'm not saying like shoot all the time, but we get the ball sort of you know, 25, 30 yards out, and instead of looking to put the ball straight in the box, we're instantly going back or playing it out wide. It's like there's no sort of nobody wants to take a risk, and I think mm-hmm. yeah, that that's what you know. Fans in general, you know, if you take a risk and it doesn't come off, they'll see that you've tried something different, and okay, it hasn't worked out, but. It's every time. It's like you know, those couple of times we had free kicks yesterday, and we'd end up. You know, I think it was I don't know if it was Maguire um, who took took it short, and then it ended up just you know a few seconds later. It's back in with Oxford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and, just that's it. It's um, yeah, it's like it, every when you're on the box, especially for somebody who's capable of smashing a ball. When you're around the box with a set piece, your first thought should be, "Let's get this in the box," you know. Our, our defenders are up there, centre-halves, we've filled the box, you know, we're going for a, a winner and then, like, we're trying to do this, again, it's, like, overcomplicating things and it's all these short free kicks and everything and it's, it's we get a free kick and then 10 seconds later it's an Oxford throw-in. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's this sort of thing what starts to frustrate fans and, to be honest, it's understandable because it's, it's not what you need for a team who want to walk this league because... You're not going to do it that way. Definitely not. No, and I think that's a what what you say there as well. I mean, I keep I keep saying what you say there is good, but you know, I I I, I think there's something very crucially touching on there, Paddy. What we have there is you get a player to the, for example, let's say the ball is sent from McGeoch to Denver Hume. Denver Hume runs to the byline. Uh, he's got two men on him. He doesn't want to try and cut in because he doesn't feel like he can. He doesn't want to cross from there because it'll get cut out. So then he brings it back and sends it back to McGeoch. McGeoch sends it across the middle of the park and it goes to Embledon or Dobson. Dobson sends it back to McGeoch, goes back to Hume. Hume swings across in first time, goes out. I think what the issue we'll have there is that, as you say, we are, it's a mix, I think, of overcomplicating things and having players playing in the <coughs> wrong positions. Denver Hume, in my opinion, shouldn't be that far up the pitch. I think he is good at getting forward with the ball, but he can do that from a left-back's position and he can do that more effectively from there. Now, we had Brian Oviedo who could get forward and swing a crossing, but Oviedo was a good player, in, in my opinion. Obviously, he'd think he divides opinion based on what you expected from that wage, but ultimately, uh, I think most would agree he's shown more than Denver Hume has hitherto in his career. And, and you know, again, Hume's 19. I'm not going to judge him by Oviedo's metric. If we had Hume further back and perhaps we had a better player playing that more left-wing makeshift role, then it'd be a lot, it'd be a lot easier, and 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 of course, if we can just hit, either hit the ball first time or work it through the middle, as I suggested, and just perhaps you know just did what we needed to do in less movements for the sake of simplicity, because it's too calculated, and that's been the the, the more sort of like that's been the common denominator of Ross's problems. I think going back to playing through the middle, it's telling yesterday that what did what did we have two or three chances at best? They all came through the middle. Um, to, for the penalty, for example, George Dobson, edge of the area, passes straight at Gooch, splits the defence, he gets brought down. In the first half, uh, the nice little link up with Embleton and McNulty, mm-hmm. chance from, what, 25 yards or whatever. But again, that's that's the only two things that you can recall. 
I mean, mm-hmm. we sat in their half for an awful lot yesterday. We had an awful lot of possession. And realistically, the crosses that we had done absolutely nothing. There was, don't get me wrong, there were some half decent ones went in there. Not not all of the 34, 35 or whatever were bad, but it didn't suit. And then there was a few times when we tried to change it up a little bit and play it on the deck that, you know, caused a few problems. And I think that's when, you know, Greg looked a little bit alive because it's like you said, if we can change the system, that's absolutely fine. But it's not his game to be running on and diving on the edge of, of, of crosses. No. He's not, you know, he's not Charlie White. He's not, say, what Kevin Kyle was 15 years ago. He wants it to his feet. We've seen that last season. His goal and the checker trade against Bristol Rovers, straight to his feet from Max Power, absolutely split the defence straight away. Um, and the one at Accrington a few days after after Wembley, ball straight over the top, edge of his foot, and he smashed it mm-hmm. in and scored. Yeah, if you look at all of Griggs goals. So simple. They just you, you put the ball to his feet and he just turns his man and then puts it away. And at doing that, he's brilliant. I think I mean I mean the the best example being the Bristol Rovers game. You know that was just that was sort of like exactly what you would want from a Will Grigg goal. If I had to sort of draw a, a Will Grigg goal in like a flip book, it would look like that. I mean, you, we can we can again don't want to discredit him, but he's not he's not that type of striker who is going to get the ball from say twenty five yards mm-hmm. out and beat someone. He's he's not like what Madger was last season. Madger would basically get the ball, the Barnsley goal, for example, cut inside and he'd be burying it, uh, burying it in the far corner. He's not that type. He does feed on scraps and he is, his game is really dependent on someone giving him the ball all of the time and making sure that's bang on. And the, the time that he has been successful, again, very few and far between, but in his time here, it has been by playing such a simple game of football. Mm. So whether we are going to, you know, kind of change the game to suit him, who knows, but it's not looking good for him. It really isn't. No, if, if that's the way we're playing, if we're playing a, 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 a sort of like an, an attacking sort of game where we're passing into space for our strikers, then I think it's gonna, you know, it's gonna look bad on his uh, on his Wikipedia article. Poor Grig. I think McNulty will start <laughs> ahead of Grig before long. Yeah. If we if we carry on with this system mm-hmm. and with this, you know, philosophy of playing. Well, McNulty looks like he plays. I mean, obviously, I. I, I I know very little about most of the players we signed these days before we signed them, but McNulty looks much better suited to taking taking players on, and especially he was when brilliant. You, yeah. His link up play, he looks comfortable, you know, taking it in any way. And he, I don't know, he just, he just, yeah. He what just about without the so ball yesterday, more. though? In terms of let's let's look at a comparison when when we had the ball in the first half from the back, Oxford, where you know we're really trying to get at us, and I didn't see that. From us, I, I I didn't see that that intensity of us trying to you know force errors or anything like that. And that, in fairness, that's how their goal came. They they capitalised on a silly mistake. It was a it was a back pass from Dobson. Lo and behold, McLaughlin couldn't really get there in time to do anything, and they pounced and scored. Now we've got the the players with the intelligence to be looking at doing something similar. So again, you know there there is a lot of arguments about Greg being lazy, but I mean he, he didn't run or do anything really yesterday. There was there was nothing of note. I think, in fairness, he could take a shirt off and it won't need washing, will it? He can put that on next week again because he hasn't busted gut. He, he certainly hasn't done anything memorable. But I think, you know, the longer this goes on, it's a drought of, what, maybe 10, 11 games for our striker mm-hmm. scoring a goal. It's, it is becoming quite a concern, not just him. Charlie White is is involved in there as well. And the fa- obviously the expectancy that we're going to be beating teams, we're going to be scoring a lot of goals. If these aren't going to do it, then we're going to, again, just become reliant on McGeady to do us and, what, two or three people mark him out the game? 
Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, that's it. We've got nothing left now. So yeah. it's predictable. It's 46 1 1 draws. Mm-hmm. I think what, what he's concerned with, he's saying about obviously everything going through McGeady, like some teams caught on to it last season. I think this year, I don't think we'll be as lucky. No. I think with, you could even say yesterday, like when McGeady got the ball, instantly there's like one, two, three yellow shirts around him. And McGeady's one of these where that is going to get frustrating. If he can see like there's just yellow shirts on top of him instantly and there's nobody in red and white close enough to him to help him out, then that's going to get frustrated. And he is, he's no good to us frustrated. You know, we need him to be, if you want to get the best out of him, we need to have the players around him who are going to help him out and basically not just have this thing of, let's just give the ball to McGeady and then, oh, there's my job done. No team can be a one-man team. You know, we, we realised that when McGeady came on, you got to think, right, going forward, you know, we're, we're a lot better when McGeady is on the pitch. You know, it's a shame, you know, he only got, what, 10 minutes yesterday? I think it was about 15. I think, oh, yeah, no, 10, 15. No, it, it, was, it was 20, he came on, on the 70 minute, I think. Yeah. Wait, no, no, that, that was Watmore, wasn't it? He's still not back to full fitness, though, well, is he? In fairness, the, play, the players on the bench yesterday, him, Maguire, Power, they aren't up to speed and it, and it might be a little while before they are. So the idea of not having that creativity in the team, it is it is quite worrying, especially yeah. going to a place like Ipswich next week. You know, they're granted, okay, they finished bottom of the league last season, but they got off to a good start yesterday. Yeah. Again, but, like us, they're overwhelming favourites to be going up automatic yeah. promotion. That's a problem, obviously, because, you know, it's all about momentum and they've, you know, I know they've got a couple of big results in pre-season, albeit against low league, but they've gone to Burton. You know, it's never the easiest place to go. You know, we got turned no. over there last year. You know, they're a bit of a hoodoo. I hate how we're in a league where that's like a phrase. You know, it's hard going to Burton. <laughs> but it's like... But it is. You know, they've, yeah. they've gone there. Like, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen the highlights, but of what I've heard, like, it was quite a hard fought. Like, you know, not pretty, but they got three points, you know, and... Those are the sort of results which we didn't have last season. You know, we'd you know, we go one nil up, the other team would come on us at equalise, then they'd sit and just say, Come and break us down. And it was worrying how we just couldn't do that. And it's like Oxford did it yesterday. You know, they once we equalised, you know, they still came forward, but most of the game was a case of we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna bust a gut pushing forward. Like we're in your backyard, we're happy with what we've got. Come and break us down, and it's just it's frustrating how once again they just took time out of the game wherever yeah, possible, didn't they? Like yeah. We had we had forty minutes. We had all of our subs to come on and make an impact, and just to get that winning goal. And you know, in in hindsight, you think a two-one win. All right, it's not great, but three points is three points. We're not talking about any of this because it's like you know we've got the win. wasn't pretty, but we're basically we've done what Ipswich have done. You know, first day of the season, we've... There's the Charlton game again last yeah, season. Yeah, exactly, yeah. You know, we, it was just, it was so important to just get a win. And it was almost like any means necessary just to get three points on the board, regroup and just think, right, we've had that game and we've got harder ones to come now, but we've got the momentum going. Mm-hmm. Now it's just sort of, there's been the big build-up to the Oxford game, opening day of the season, and then everybody's leaving, but sort of going, well, that was bit of a damp squib really mm-hmm. now we've got to go to Ipswich next week who will be well they'll probably have the tails up more than we will mm-hmm. I'm going to stop you just there though Paddy because what you've just said there I'll say it again I found very interesting <laughs> you said about obviously the Ipswich game the 1-2-1 and obviously our game is a 1-1 looks like a damn squib you know it, it looks it, it looks 
pretty shoddy drawing at home to, to Oxford. But then when you look at the Charlton game last season, I mean, we were pretty naff against Charlton. We'll beat them 2-1, but we'll beat them 2-1. And as you say, three points is three points. So, you know, there's two ways you can look at that. First of all, you would say that perhaps the first game is more psychological than, than anything. Just getting that win gives a belief in the players that a 1-1 doesn't, especially at home to Oxford. But secondly, does that not suggest that perhaps... You know those among us in the fan base, and obviously, again, you know everyone. It's a game. Of, it's a game of opinions. Football. You know everyone's entitled to their opinions, but ultimately, if if perhaps you're thinking that you know we're we're condemned to lose our manager and not go up because we've drawn the first game one one, is that what you might call an emotional overreaction? Definitely, but I think, yeah, it's got. You know, if you look at it like last season, you know Luton. They lost their first game of the season. You know, I don't know what their fan reaction was to that, but, you know, they were newly promoted. They might have been thinking, you know, it's going to be a hard season. But they sort of dusted themselves down and then, you know, they didn't lose a game for mm-hmm. another, I don't know how many games it was, but it was a it was a long time, I think. They were all awesome awesome the day as well. Yeah, and, and Portsmouth, yeah. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's important not to look too much into it, but I think, as you said, Alex, it is really sort of psychological because if you look people who weren't at the game yesterday if you look at that on paper you think 1-1 against Oxford you know it's a bit underwhelming but you know it's just it's the mindset sort of you know we spoke about the games going ahead you know uh, later this month and I think it's just it was really important to get off to you know with three points and but ultimately you know Let's just hope that it's not going to be too much of a problem. We're not going to miss out on promotion by mm-hmm. the two points, what we should have got on the opening day of the season. You know, it's, you don't really think about it like that. I think no. it was yesterday, it was a lot of familiarity for people, wasn't it? At the beginning of the game, it started as, you know, it's the first game of the season. It's a brand new, clean slate for everybody. We'll concede a soft goal. Oxford again, everybody behind the ball. They start to shore things up. We struggle to break them down. And then all of a sudden, it's carried over from last season then we haven't scored in so many games or we haven't done this in so many games. We've drew X amount of games. And that's where I kept, you know, kind of creeping back in. And for the large part, in fairness, I thought the fans yesterday were, were really good when we equalised. You know, we, we really did get behind them. Um, and it's not to criticise anybody, but I don't think the boos were warranted yesterday. No. No, not on the first game of the season. I mean, you, you, you can be frustrated. That's absolutely fine. I appreciate that. And everybody's paid the money, so you can do whatever you want legally. Um, but come on, you know, surely they've got at least more in the bank in terms of, you, you know, give, give, give it time. Give it 10 games before you start panicking. Because like you said, Luton weren't world beaters at the start of last season. Mm-hmm. And unless we're going to, you know, win every single game... Uh, <sighs> We're going to drop points here and there. We could still go up. We could still get 100 points. But does that mean on you know the, the remaining games that would drop points, we're going to boo them off every week? I mean, there, there were some positives yesterday. Granted, just a fair few. There were, um, there were a lot more negatives, but there were, there were positives. There were. But in terms of if we won that game yesterday in the last minutes when you know McGeady's free kick or when Maguire was kind of horsing around with the ball and lost it, we wouldn't have deserved to come away with three points in fairness. I think a draw was an even result. Would there have still been booed off for the performance because the performance was shit and it didn't really deserve three points? No. No chance. That would have been off. It was just absolute frustration which was just set in. And I get that. And, it, it, you know, it, it's deep-rooted from, obviously, I think, 
last season has just carried over. The the frustration of watching, say, Barnsley go into the championship and win yesterday and, and Charlton doing it yesterday and there's us again, we're kind of languishing behind. And again, it, I just don't think it was warranted. There's, there's an awful lot of uh, football to be played. I mean, we're, we're literally in the opening weekend and we've got people already saying, let's get rid of the manager, let's sell this one, let's get rid of that one. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry, but I couldn't agree more. Nothing's won on the opening weekend. No, no, not at all. No, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. The, the the team that starts a season, the formation that starts a season is often very, very different from the one that ends it. We started last, we started last season with, with what, Leuven and Ozturk in the middle? Don't forget Donald Don Love. Don Love, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don Love, you know, uh, gone but not forgotten. <laughs> Miss your big man. You know, he, he was there, you know. You, you have to look at it that way. And what, what you say there is totally right. And uh, again, you know, you pay money to go and watch the lads. Legally, as you say, you are entitled to do whatever you want within the confines of the law. But when it's 45 minutes on the clock, it's half time, you okay, you're 1-0 down against Oxford. It's not been a great first half. It's been largely quite frustrating, more negatives than positives, but ultimately you're only behind due to a different you know, like a defensive lapse of judgment. And you have seen a lot of the ball, given that there've been some frustrations. You know, you know, shock horror that the the manager hasn't picked the exact perfect team and the exact perfect formation in the first game. He'll reflect on that game, hopefully, and think, right, Denver Hume playing wing back there, that, that didn't quite work. Or, mm, you know, Will Grigg still not quite cutting it. Wonder what's going wrong here. There'll be some head scratching and there'll be some troubleshooting. But, you know, the players do not deserve. It's just that, it, for, for me, there's there's almost like a moral duty for the new players and the very young players to not receive an absolute cacophony of boos after the first 45, just because the one goal down at Oxford. If the 5 nil down, fair enough. The one nil down due to a, you know, like a, a, a little cheap naff goal that could have easily been avoided and couldn't be, can easily be learned from. You know, you, they don't need boos. It, it's, it's, for, for me, that's ridiculous. They, they, they deserve more time, the players and the manager, than 45 minutes. You know, look, if we're five, six games in and we're winless and you want to boo, then, you know, you, you, at that point, you're very, you know, no one, you know, no one's going to forgive you. for No one's going to sort of um, uh, begrudge you for that. Not not a chance. But again, the first minute, the first 40, the first minute, the first game, the first 45, and and it, there's there, there are, you know, very audible boos at half time. And, you know, what impression does that give the players that they're going to feel in their heads that, you know, we're, we're, we're on the back foot from the get-go. And especially just, the new lads. Yes, especially the new lads and, and again, especially the young lads as well. Mm-hmm. You know, Hume and Embleton in, on, in what could be their first real full season for the lads. The, 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 no one needs that from the get-go. There, there is time to put this right. We looked poor against Charlton. I would argue we looked worse against Charlton last season despite the win than we did against Oxford. We were, in my opinion, you know, pretty crap against Charlton. But you know what? We improved. And I think we're going to improve this time around. And I still think Jack Ross is the man to do it. I think I think we'll be all right. But I just think that there are going to be some teething issues with with the new formation. Anyway, I think we're going to come towards the end there. But as one final point, um, while I've defended Jack Ross there, I do want to put him under the microscope one last time. And this is because I've noticed across this entire pod that there's been a running theme of the criticisms we've levelled at the manager. I'm going to use the response to the quick question, our final one from Mickey Lawson, who said, his, Jack Ross's, tactics seem to be getting it out wide, brackets slowly as possible with shocking crosses, 
Grigg isn't that type of forward. We need to play through the middle, especially if our wingers aren't fast. McGeady, Maguire, McNulty, Grigg play to our strengths. How can Jack Ross not see this? Now that phrase there, Grigg isn't that type of forward. We've said that ourselves, and we've also said that Denver Hume isn't that type of player, i.e. Uh, a, I know an extremely box-to-box left wing back. You know, we've heard that twice now. We've heard it isn't that type of player. Should we be worried that Jack Ross maybe doesn't know his team, Josh? It's a big question. Um, yes, I think so. Um, I think, you know, we've had Greg for a little while now, so we haven't been ever played to his strengths, so there's a there's definitely a question there as to why we aren't now. Um, to me, it seems really obvious. I think to everyone, it seems really obvious. If he's so enamoured with playing out on what, yeah. If he's so enamoured with playing out wide, we have the wingers to be able to do that. So we don't need our wing backs or full backs providing that width. So we could definitely go to a back four, like we mentioned. Playing through the middle seems really obvious when our best passers are our midfielders. I mean, especially Mickey Ock. I think Power is also a really underrated passer as well. Yeah. Um, and our one tall striker is probably our worst out of the three. Yeah. So again, it makes sense to kind of play through the middle for McNulty and Grigg. So when you mention it all like that and you put it all out there, that, that seems really obvious. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously we're just kind of weak to go off on what we see. We don't we don't see, you know, training and, and all that kind of stuff. But like I mentioned earlier, the, the stubbornness to play the way Jack mm-hmm. Ross has tried to play is what worries me. Yeah, well, that's it. I know he had success at St. Mirren with this system and I appreciate that. But if you don't have the players for it, you can't just mm-hmm. shoehorn it in. Yeah. And I think we have to maybe think as well that St. Mirren, he was in the Scottish Championship. Mm-hmm. He won promotion from the Scottish Championship. Won the league. Won the league. Now, yeah, look, the Scottish Championship, that's probably a worse division than League One, I think. I mean, I don't I don't know how the how I don't I don't know the exchange rate of quality between England and Scotland exactly. But I would hazard it's 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 there or thereabouts with League One. It, it can't be a great division, the Scottish Championship. I mean, the 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 the, the tail end of the Scottish Premiership is pretty naff. So the Scottish Championship must be, you know, must be even well logically even worse. Well, a reminder: we beat his Saint Mirren side six 0 mm. Okay, yeah. Last, well, last you know, year. there you go. You know, there's no better perspective than that. Obviously, you know, you know, very well pointed out there. But that's, you know, you have to maybe think that if Jack Ross can get that system working with Saint Mirren in the Scottish Championship, maybe he can get it working. But again, this is what we need: is patience. And I don't want to sit here and happy clap my way through, you know, through a whole sort of um, monologue here, but. What I think we, we we should be able to, I think, unanimously agree on is that you can't condemn any manager after one game in a new season with his with he's had his full first full preseason, just give him more time than one game. Give him five. You know. Give him give him time to to embed and to sort of refine what it is he wants to do with his team. If we get to October and let's say we're not, you know, we're hanging outside the playoffs, then yeah, I think I think we have reason to believe it's never going to work because we, we've had ample time by then if you factor in the summer. But Having said that, I'm sorry to cut in. Sorry. Um, I think, obviously, you know, we, like we mentioned, we've got Portsmouth, we've got Ipswich coming up. Obviously, if results don't go our way, that won't be brilliant. But what I'll be more concerned about is if we play badly. I think if the performances show an improvement, but we maybe draw or we maybe just lose 2-1, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be all right with that. But if we play really badly in those games, that's more concerning, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair enough. So I think what we might do is, is perhaps on quite a pensive note, we are okay to leave that there for a day. But as one final thing, and um, I mean that 
mean that for real this time, is we're gonna, just going to, I'm just going to go around the table and I would like each of you to come up with, yeah, the team you would play next week against Ipswich and then irrespective of your team, give me what you think the result's going to be. So basically think of your own team and then think of all that aside, what do you think the score will be if okay. you're truthfully thinking about Jack Ross? So anyone want to sort of, sort of uh, a show of hands, boys, anyone want to sort of take the first one? I'd call me negative, but I would probably next week go down there and and maybe start with a defensive kind of outlook. Go on. I think one thing that we did quite well last season um, is basically allow teams to kind of huff and puff. And when they tied themselves out, that's when we got at them. So it wouldn't surprise me if we did have, you know, five in midfield, say excluding the wing backs. I think we might revert to to like a four five one. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't surprise me to see the exact same team involved again. Um, whether we are going to look at having say McGeady or Maguire come off the bench is a bit of a luxury if we're chasing the game. That they are the people you want to bring on, aren't they? Um, Maguire he normally plays better as an impact sub rather than starting. I think. Personally, I would. I think I would definitely play a back four because I think momentum will be with Ipswich. I think they will want to look to get off to a really good start at home. That'll set the tempo um, for the rest of the season from them. So, yeah, I think Denver Hume at left back. Again, it would be Willis is pretty much your number one centre back, isn't he? Um, Oz Turk. I'll be honest, I wasn't really overly impressed yesterday with Conor McLaughlin. and We haven't really discussed him overly too much. No, he, I think he looked quite good in pre-season. But obviously, He's a right-back, though. Yeah, He's a right back. so Luke O'Nine played an awful lot at right-back last season. And again, he wasn't involved yesterday. Now, is that a sign that he's now going to become you know, a backup player? Hasn't he been injured for quite a while? Didn't he pick up a pretty gnarly one in um, uh, the playoff final? Yeah, I mean, there was there was a few injuries throughout the course of um, the summer, wasn't there? But mm-hmm. again, I mean, he, he had been involved. He came on um, against Heronveen the week prior as a substitute. So somewhat surprising to not see him involved. I think I would go with him if he is fu- if he's fully fit. I think I'd play him over McLaughlin. Um, and again, the, the, the midfield, this is where you really you, you have your issues again, don't you? I suppose if it's the case that you, you want to give someone license to go forward, Maybe have Elliot Embleton, you know, in in midfield, pushing and pressing with McGeoch and someone alongside to, I suppose, kind of comfort the back four because that's what McGeoch I thought done really well yesterday in terms of he had to drop back deep an awful lot in, in cover, um, for when say Flanagan had gone astray or even Willis wasn't really up to scratch. But again, I think he will be crucial next week. But I, I can't see us playing to up front. I can't. I I don't know. I think that. That is Jack Ross down to a T. And it's not, not to be overly negative, but I, I just don't think we have what it takes to basically go down there and and just be aggressive, mm-hmm. get in the faces and, and, and kind of do what Oxford done to us yesterday, really. Mm-hmm. But again, it, 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 who knows really at this stage, but I personally would expect 4-5-1. Again, left wing, right wing, or left midfield, right midfield, that, that can be anybody. Lyndon Gooch, he, I thought he'd done okay going forward. And the rest's just dependent on injuries, really, whether we've got Maguire back, McGeady back, but who knows. A prediction is irrespective of what you'd want your team to be. So what do you think, if you're truthfully thinking, what's Jack Ross going to go down there and get with his team? What do you think he's going to get? I think we'll get beat. Yesterday, I thought we were going to win. I think, obviously, last week's pod, which didn't go out eventually, we, we all predicted unanimously a win besides Morgan. Who got, who got right with one Absolutely one. bang on. 
Um, yeah, look, I've, I think we're going to get beat next week. And I think that's really going to add an awful lot of pressure to the, the following week. But look, if we do, you know, not great. But besides that, we've just got to try and remain as positive as we can because if we do go into that third game and we're still on one point, maybe even if we're on two points, you know, let, let, let's just not turn on the players. Not just yet, because the Stadium of Light has been a pretty dark place for, for some of our players. This, you know, the championship season in particular, every single one of us can be guilty of waiting for something to go wrong and then just explode. And, and, and every single player, they, they all suffered from that. So if we are going to get beat next week, which I think we will, let's just at least try and go into the following week and and just make sure you know we we give everything we've got, get behind the lads as we always can, and 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 just try and churn out a performance. But I think Ipswich, I think they'll have too much for us. One nil. Okay, Paddy, you're up. I, I think um, my sort of idea of a team um, isn't too far away. I think it will be something like five in midfield, and I think we'd have to go back to the four in defence. Um, like I said earlier, purely just to give the likes of Hume just a bit more confidence, just to give him a more simplistic role where, you know, because going to a team like Ipswich, he's not going to need to be bombing forward as much as what we perhaps wanted him to against Oxford. So I think definitely um, keep him at left back. Um, I would probably persist with McLaughlin at right back purely because I just don't like the idea of us changing loads of players for the next game sort of thing so I think purely just for sort of familiarity keep him right back and then um, I would actually quite like to see Willis and Ozturk play together because I just don't want Flanagan anywhere near the starting lineup. Yep. Um, midfield if he's fit uh, I would like to see power coming because um, as we said earlier he is an underrated passer of the ball and I think I would quite like to see him and either Dobson or Embleton with sort of McGeeck in, in in front of the back four, like we saw him uh, do against Oxford. It's kind of like a like a 4-1-4-1. Four, one, four, one. Yeah, yeah. kind of. Like, I know like, we've tried to play this in the past with um, with Catamore, you know, a few years back, where sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It just depends on, you know, the sort of opposition we're playing. But I think having McGeeck there in front of the back four, and I think if, if we have a more settled back four, then I don't think he'll have to drop as much as what he had to yesterday. I think he was having to cover two, maybe three of our defenders when they had lapses of concentration. And I know he was playing there as a sort of CDM, but we don't really want him dropping back that much. Like, he is there, but he shouldn't be that far back for as much of the game as what he was yesterday. And I think, yeah, striker, really on merits. If you're going to play one striker, it should be McNulty. I'd say McNulty. I've got a feeling if we we played one striker, it would still be Grigg, which is annoying, but... I think it should be McNulty up top with, you know, maybe play, if you want to play Gooch in his out-and-out role as a winger, you know, see if we can sort of bring back some of the form which he had last season, playing as an out-and-out right wing rather than having to, um, you know, worry about being this sort of wing-back player. So, yeah, I think prediction-wise, I don't think we'll get beat because, I don't know, I think Ipswich are, I don't think they're quite at full strength yet. They beat Burton yesterday, granted... But I just think if we, it all depends on if, you know, if we were to play this 4-5-1, it's just, it's people just keeping it simple and playing the sort of, the roles what they've been put there to do. So I think, honestly, I, I know it's annoying and dull, but I think it'll be 1-1. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
number well, 246. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the second one, one of the season. I know. Yeah, but to be honest, um, uh, Paddy, I was going to do one of these myself, but everything you said there for your ideal team is almost exactly what I would say. Uh, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you almost. The one exception is that, obviously, if this is my sort of ideal team, I would probably want Greg up top, but I would want him with a style of play that focuses less on the wings and just just more getting forward from everywhere, just in general. With I, I might even say with more of a focus down the middle. If you're playing max power, as as we are both in agreement there, max power um, has shown at, at Wigan and also briefly for us that he's very good at finding Greg through the middle. He knows how to play to him. So I think that would be a great asset to have that that sort of that like already like pre-established um, uh, sort of cohesion between them. I'd, I'd be very I'd be very content with seeing that definitely. Just just a four-one-four-one, but. As you say, without the expectation on human McLaughlin's shoulders of having to play, or not human Gucci's shoulders, sorry, of having to play as these as these fairly convoluted wing backs, when it'd be a lot easier just for these these types of players to just sort of play one role and stick to one very sort of fundamental role. And I think with with Grig having the ball to his feet and having a lot more play through the middle rather than you know attempts at playing down the wings with overlaps and what have you, which. I think is a bit needlessly complicated. I think without Greg having to think about that, obviously all five foot eleven of them trying to sort of jump for the odd ball or to try and maybe run into space that, that he obviously isn't a, a massive fan of doing, you know, for you know for good reasons or bad. Then I think if we just play maybe just more simply with more simplicity and down the middle and with Greg up top, I think then we could do very well. But obviously that's incidental because for my prediction, I personally and again, you know. A little bit of happy clapping here. I think we'll go for a one-nil win. I think we're going to be a the the actual Ross's team. I think you'll tweak a few things. I think we'll see that we won't get it right. I think overall we might be the worst of the two teams all game, but I think that it'll start. It's going to start to click, and I think we're going to start to see a bit more of clinical play. I think it'll change a couple of things here and there. Nothing drastic, but it'll change a couple of things around. We'll look a bit more comfortable. I think perhaps away from the sort of prying eye of a of a large expecting home crowd. And I think we will we'll we'll just we'll just about we'll nick something from from McNulty or Greg and I think it'll be one nil. I think you know, while Greg hasn't hit the form yet, you can never count him out and McNulty look promising. I think one of those will get the goal. And I think one nil a goal and no reply. So that's mine. So as our final one, let's have you, Josh. What are you saying? Yeah, pretty much agree with most of what Paddy said as well. Mm-hmm. Um I'd I'd have... it's, that's boring, isn't it? It's not, not <laughs> no, original. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh I'd yeah, I'd have McLaughlin. And Hume as fullbacks, but I'd have them as very defensive fullbacks who won't worry about going forward too much. Um, I'd have Power Dobson and McGeoch in the middle, but I'd have McGeoch just shuttling in front of the back four, especially because we're away and we're probably going to be on, you know, the back foot if you like. Um, I'd have Embleton on the wing actually because I think he's confident with both feet, so he could either cut inside or play on the wings because you don't want to be too one-dimensional. You don't just just want to play through the middle or just play it out wide. So having those wingers gives us that option. And for me, McNulty starts because especially, again, away at home, you need people who are going to put in a shift. Um, so for me, a comfortable uh, comfortable start for McNulty. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I got distracted there. Craig showed me that them uh, Sunderland ladies have beaten Hartlepool 12-0. So just, I mean... Good on them. Yeah, so just a, a very quick shout at the end here. Uh, you know, well done we Sunderland ladies team. yeah exactly yeah, so well yeah how are the lasses for not getting a 1-1 and getting instead a 12-0 well in well done so yeah the lads if uh, you know if you want to find the net uh, yeah take notes sorry Josh I didn't catch what you said for your prediction I oh I didn't distracted. sorry uh, well, no, you know I, I genuinely also think it's going to be 1-1 as 1-1. well 
Oh, yeah. Man. Shocking. I do. <laughs> so, you know, we're at a point now where a 1-1 feels like a defeat because of how... That's like, how it felt a, yesterday. So much of a joke it's become the 1-1. But anyway, that aside, I think we're happy to leave that there. So we'll be back. Well, I'll not be back because I'm away in California for, for two weeks. Show off. Ah, nice, nice for some, you know, just going to just... Look, you know, bit a bit of a flex in there, but you know, I'm you didn't gonna have be, to say that. Yeah, you know, I didn't you have to. Just do, said I, you were so away. <laughs> could have, yeah. Just hold there. Could have, yeah. I, you know, that's awful. That mind. Well, anyway, sorry. I'm I'm away having a great time um, on the west coast. I hope it rains. So yeah, you know what? It's it's meant to actually on some of the days. So you've got your wish. Yeah, it's meant to rain in Monterey. So you know. Anyway, basically, um, the lads will be back in the studio after the Ipswich game to hopefully revel in what I predict is a one nil win or anything more than that, as long as it's a, a winning scoreline. But let's just hope we don't lose and let's hope the Ross starts to get this right because while I think we've agreed that it's too early to condemn him, I think the clock is probably ticking, all things considered. On that ominous note, let's leave that there. Thank you and goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.